United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, Here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and welcome to this edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. On April 20th, Soccer America's Youth Soccer Insider had a commentary by their executive editor, a man who has been working at Soccer America for 30-plus years, a man who is respected across the country, even internationally, for his take on soccer in the United States. His headline on April 20th read, U.S. Soccer Blundered Badly on High School Soccer. Again, by Mike Waitola. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Waitola, M-I-K-E-W-O-I-T-A-L-L-A. It says, and I read directly from his article, American soccer, so plagued by the pay-to-play problem. If only there was youth soccer that didn't charge kids so much money. Hold on. It does exist, and it's massive nationwide. It's called high school soccer. Sometimes hundreds of people show up for a high school game. The players are celebrated on campus. Rivalries date back for decades. There's even local media coverage. Not always, but often around the country, high school games create a special kind of atmosphere in the stadium. As you enter, there's a snack bar with homemade baked goods and hot chocolate to raise money for senior night. The annual game where parents tear up like they do at graduation. There's a scoreboard, a PA announcer, and music blasting from the mixtape the captains compiled, making sure they downloaded the censored versions of the latest rap songs while the players warm up. Players from the same clubs play against each other, and the parents who usually root together are on separate sides after exchanging pleasantries. Post-game, They congratulate and console each other. Some club coaches are there too, proud that they've got current or former players on the teams. They mingle with the parents and catch up on old times. The boys team shows up to cheer on the girls or vice versa. Friends and boyfriends and girlfriends are in the stands. The class clowns are leading cheers and jeers. High school soccer differs from club soccer, not just by exposing players to the pressure and exhilaration of playing in front of crowds, It also puts players from ages 14 to 18, from freshmen to seniors, on the same field. None of that seems to impress the U.S. Soccer Federation. Mike's story goes on to point out the ban that Jurgen Klinsmann helped put in place for the Development Academy for Boys, where they weren't allowed to play high school soccer. Also talks about big-name coaches at the college level that continue to support high school soccer for even the top-level players. It would go on to end with the following three paragraphs. Again, I'm reading directly from his article. The quality of high school soccer varies widely across the country. Some players are better off skipping high school ball and have since before the boys' DA or girls' ECNL started, and there are players who will benefit from it. But instead of dismissing high school soccer because it has its flaws, U.S. soccer could have appreciated its attributes and its potential, regarded it as a partner instead of a nuisance, and even taken steps to improve the high school game. Now, if U.S. soccer doesn't reconsider its attitude toward the high school game, it faces a major challenge in making the girls' DA the destination for the nation's top clubs and players. But it's been clear in recent years that U.S. soccer believes in a one-size-fits-all approach to youth soccer. That's a perilous approach in a nation as large and diverse as the U.S.A. Mike Waitala, executive editor for Soccer America, gets us talking high school soccer again. He'll join me first. Then Rusty Oglesby, a longtime high school coach in Texas who heads the advocacy chair position for United Soccer Coaches High School Coaches. Diane Scavuzzo for Goal Nation. Her son plays DA and she loves it, says he doesn't need high school soccer. And then Bo Eske. He's an executive director for a club in Virginia. He's got five kids that have or will be playing college soccer at some point, and he believes there's a balance between both playing in an academy setting and a high school setting. We've got it all, and we'll bring it to you next after this message from Team Snap. 
Still managing your club or league on paper and spreadsheets? Go paperless with TeamSnap. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, they have way fewer paper cuts. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com United. Once again, here's Dean Linky. I already read from it right to open the show. It was written on April 20th, 2018. The headline, U.S. Soccer Blundered Badly on High School Soccer. Written by the 30-year man at Soccer America. Now their executive editor talking about Mike Waitala. And Mike joins me now right off the start. Mike, the headline, U.S. Soccer Blundered Badly on High School Soccer. Just sum up that headline the best way for people that maybe didn't get a chance to read it. I think the biggest reference on that is toward the Girls Development Academy. When they launched the Boys Development Academy, when the Federation launched the Boys Development Academy in 2007, the boys were still allowed to, to play high school soccer. But with the girls, they basically more or less banned it from the get-go. And I think that was a blunder. And the reason I say that, one of the reasons I say that is because we've already seen some of the top clubs in the country leave the Development Academy uh, during the first season. Um, and the high school issue was a big reason for that. Several layers to your points. And you're right, it is more focused on girls than boys. So thanks for making that clarification right off the spot. But right off the bat, you talk about pay-to-play and solving that pay-to-pay problem in high school soccer does it and even during the debate for who was going to be president of u.s soccer that pay-to-play thing came up a lot right exactly and i think a big part of the look there are obviously kids who may be better off or are better off skipping high school soccer that you could make a case for that for some for some players um but there's no reason to just reject high school soccer as a benefit um, for children in America, for Plato development, um, and that's what that's that's the way the federation comes across. And I bring up the pay to play issue because it is an issue that got the attention it finally deserved after the World Cup failure. Um, and here you have this here you have this you know massive nationwide soccer environment that is you know relatively it more or less cost free. Obviously, you, you you've got some fundraisers and costs here and there. But, you know, look at that. That is pretty significant in this country. So why dismiss it? Why not talk about some of the the, the problems and some of the challenges of high school soccer without saying um, it's not going to help us in any way? And what about, uh, as I even tried to get Diane Scavuzzo to come around a little bit, what about the notion of even with the DA, even on the boys' side of doing both, you know, figuring out a balance and, you know, maybe you can't make every high school practice, but the high school players and friends, they get it right. Cause you're playing DA. What about that ability to do both, Mike? Why can't they do both? I've given that a lot of thought. I think that, I think one of the big issues is that the moves that the U S soccer federation makes are, are for its own convenience. This makes it very simple. Now I'm not saying that it isn't a complicated challenge for the federation, uh, to govern the sport and to try and um, get the best out of player development in what is a giant country, a regionalized country. You have high school seasons at different times of the year. So that does make it more difficult if you want to have um, a nationwide season. But do you have to? You know, can't you work around that? Instead of saying, we're going to do it the way that makes it convenient for us, why not sit back and say, okay, well, can we do something where for those players who, uh, for whom high school soccer is beneficial or we really want to play it, you know, maybe we can make it work. Maybe everything doesn't have to go exactly to the way that we, that is, that's convenient for us. I think that's possible. I mean, it was possible in the past. And, you know, the high school issue has predated the Development Academy, we should say that. Um, you know, that it's been around for a long time for different, for, for various reasons. Uh, the club coaches maybe want to make sure they're getting paid year-round, but also for the reason of the situations where maybe the high school's you know, don't provide the right environment for those kids, and they say, okay, you're better off playing club. It's been around for a long time, but we've also lived with it for a long time, and we can come up with ways to work with it. I think, uh, um, you know, I think a different attitude would be, um, you know, maybe the Federation could even work with high school soccer in some manner. 
What about the notion with that is is U.S. soccer, particularly, you know, as you mentioned about Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, being supportive of the ban there at one point where the kids couldn't even think about playing high school soccer. One of the arguments at that level, the Jurgen Klinsmann level, was one, it's dangerous for these players to play against just big bruising type athletes. And in fact, it could step back their development. I mean, you can find you can find uh, examples, I think, that that work on both sides of the argument. Um, you, you know, one of the things that bothers me about the Federation's approach is that, you know, I've been told that they believe, you know, they've told me that they believe that that the kids need to be in their 10-month environment for, without doing anything else. Now, you know, I remember times when we talked about how great it was that a kid played with his youth team on a Saturday and then played with a adult team on a Sunday, like Clint Dempsey did when he was a kid and, and many others, uh, you know, or, or the other examples of, you know, maybe you didn't get enough playing time on your DA team on a Saturday, so you get to play with a different team on a Sunday. The Federation believes that they have some sort of secret formula, and we know that doesn't exist because no one knows it's not a science. Everybody knows it's not a science. Instead of having this attitude that they only know how to do it, consider, well, yes, okay, obviously there's problems with the high school season if you're talking about not giving the kids a break before and after and, and squeezing in a lot of games. Again, these are issues that shouldn't say, okay, well, forget it. High school soccer is bad. You clearly said in your closing comments, uh, it's been clear in recent years that U.S. soccer believes in a one-size-fits-all approach to youth soccer. Break down that statement. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's what I said about the 10-month um, season. They want to, they talk about periodization, they talk about, you know, tracking players, and, and you know, all things that you can make a, an argument for, but but do we know that what they're doing right now is the perfect way of doing it? I mean, if they're so good at knowing exactly how to do it, why have we had in the last 10 years three different curricula from them? You know, they've revamped their coaching um, education every couple of years. You know, if you took the F uh, last year, well, now that's different. Now you take a um, you know, the grassroots uh, courses. And, and I have to say, I've taken them, and I think they're very good. I think they have a lot of valuable things in it. My point is that things change. We come up with different ideas. We try different things. It's proof that there is not one perfect way to develop players. Why not hedge our bets a little bit? If somebody in some part of the country is doing things differently, why don't we say, okay, let's see how that works out, instead of saying, no, 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 you need to do it exactly how we decided last year. That's the way to do it. I just think it's pretty common sense that we're better off uh, being open-minded about how kids should play soccer. You're hearing the voice, the wisdom of Mike Waitola, the executive editor for Soccer America. We have been keeping an eye on this debate about high school soccer for quite some time. Teresa Actonmeyer, very vocal about it uh, over the years on the podcast and others as well. And then all of a sudden, his commentary comes out again. Headline, U.S. soccer blundered badly on high school soccer, diving into all the great values and merits of high school soccer. On this show, coming up, Bo Eske, who is the executive director for Frederick FC in Virginia, who, as I said, has three young men that uh, have either playing or will be playing for William & Mary, two daughters that are also playing college soccer as well. All five of them play in high school soccer. Bo Eske, when I asked him about Mike Waitala's commentary, he's like, man, I have got commentaries from him way back that are always on point. Diane Scavuzzo says, well, hey, wait, hang on a second. I love Mike. He's a friend of mine, but his daughter had a great experience in high school, and he's really writing that from his heart. What do you say to uh, that second comment? I think the issue with my high schools, with my daughter's high school play, that did that did expose me. I mean, I've been, I've, I've, um, I mean, I played high school soccer. I've attended high school soccer. Um, following my daughter's high school career meant that I went to so many more high school games than I may otherwise not have. When I write about um, what I player development, when I write about soccer in the United States, you know, I. It's not writing about my daughter. I mean, I take that. That's kind of a separate thing. I mean, it maybe brings me to certain parts of the soccer environment that, you know, that that helped me form my opinions. But um, in the case of my daughter, it was she was not a player who, um, who I believe was on a national team um, path. Um, 
but you know when I'm writing, I'm trying to think of all the kids uh, that are out there. I like that answer. You know, it's it's interesting too because I think about it. My kids weren't soccer players, but they were pretty good basketball players, and they played AAU, and then they played for their high school team. And they won some pretty cool tournaments in AAU, but I barely remember them. But I remember, you know, seven of their 11 wins their senior season, right, in high school basketball. What is it about the pull of high school and the appeal of the students and everything else? Well, I mean, the the for one, to have to, to play in front of a crowd is special. It's not only special, it's uh, important uh, if we're talking about player development um you know, April Heinrichs said it basically dismissed high school soccer and saying it's not about player development. But I think you can make a case that when you play in front of a few hundred people, uh, and sometimes it can be a couple thousand of people, that does that does help prepare you um, for other situations if you're going to play high level soccer. Um, and and some of the some of the I mean, I think anybody who's been to high school games in some situations are all like this. But there is a special environment and a, and a community environment that when you're part of it and you see it, you realize there's a value to it. Now, if I'm from the Federation and I, and I see that and I, and I say, well, okay, but, but they're not training as good as, as we are or they're not doing this as good as we are, you can also say, well, but look, there is something special about this. Let's not just dismiss it. Let's consider um, you know, how it can be a benefit to what we're trying to do instead of saying, you know, we don't want a part of it, or you shouldn't be a part of it if you want to be a part of us. Mike, what am I missing? What are some final points you want people to hear if, in fact, they have not been able to read your commentary yet, and knowing that we've got some guests on both sides of the aisle in support and perhaps uh, somewhat against the notion of high school soccer? What am I missing? And you've got the floor to fill in the blanks. Well, when we're, when we're told, by, and listen, I believe that there's a lot of good things coming out of the U.S. U.S. Soccer Federation. I think they have a lot of good coaches. They do a lot of good things. Um, but they also send us a message that their way to do it, for example, 10-month season, only in their environment, no high school, is the only way to develop world-class players. And, you know, they don't have proof for, of that. So they're telling us that without proof. This is not a science, and there's no proof to that. Um, but we do have examples of players like Mallory Pugh, who played high school soccer and, in my opinion, is an absolutely terrific player. She just turned 20. I, I think she's already world-class. I think she'll prove that she is a world-class player throughout her career. Um, so there you have an example that it can work. So instead of, instead of you know, pretending you have this, mad, this perfect formula, look around and consider you know, what's positive in other environments and not dismiss those. And also to take a different kind of um, approach, because I do believe the key to, to success in, this com- in, in soccer is a, a we're all in this together type of uh, approach. Um, that doesn't mean everybody know, you know, every, we should adopt everything everybody's doing, but we should have respect for the people who are working hard in the soccer community, who, who put their hearts into it and, and not just say, not just dismiss them. Finally, Mike, speaking of high school, it's got to mean that you started working at Soccer America even pre-high school because Bo Eske is coming up and he's telling me that he's got five kids either in college or getting ready to be in college, some of them already out of college that also have read your commentaries and have <laughs> followed you for, for that long, right? Uh, well, how does that make you feel, my man? <laughs> well, I started writing for Soccer America uh, when I was in college um, and then just stayed there because it was such a great place. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does, it does, I'm not super old, I'm only 54, <laughs> but um, but when you do hit my age, you, you remember when someone tells you this is the best way of doing something, that, that 10 years ago it was something else, and that 10 years before that it was something else, and then you come back to something that, you know, something that got dismissed or that went out of vogue, comes back into it. The, the point is, is we're not talking about a science. It's more of an art. It's, it's a game. Um, we've got a country with all kinds of potential all across the country, and a very diverse country, you know, ge- geographically very diverse. Our demographic is diverse. And, you know, let's just appreciate what we can, how we can get the best out of 
you know, a country with all this potential. Well said, Mike. And trust me, you're not old at all, and you were insightful then. You're insightful <laughs> now, my man. You do a great job. Everybody loves your work, and uh, appreciate you putting that commentary out there and letting it serve as kind of the offering for this discussion this week. I appreciate it. Well, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you, Mike Waitala. What a great start to the show. Rusty Oglesby, he's now the advocacy chair for high school coaches, longtime coach in Texas who's still at it, still doing a great job, and he speaks up loud and clear in his support for high school soccer. Hi, folks. This is Dean Linky, host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast with an important message for each and every one of you. If you are interested in gaining an advantage through a world of coaching resources, now is the time. United Soccer Coaches is offering a limited time promotion for $10 off your membership for our listeners. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and use promo code UNITED now through May 30th. Sign up today. Welcome back to United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Up next, Rusty Oglesby. He's the advocacy chair for United Soccer Coaches High School Coaches, and he has been going at it from the grassroots level. When I say grassroots, I, I really feel myself as a true grassroots player. I grew up in San Angelo, Texas. From the time I was four years old, I got to be a part of a soccer game. But back then, it was uh, we played in the city park, and it was 11 v. 11 at four years of age on what we considered a full-size pitch. So we didn't know any different. All we knew is what was on TV. If you got to watch Univision, uh, something like that, you might get to see a Spanish league game. So that's kind of how I grew up, watching the game. I was actually a part of building soccer fields with our family and a bunch of volunteers. And so we, we actually built a sports complex in San Angelo, Texas, and removed rocks for about 10 straight Sundays. We literally helped build a game in the, in the city of San Angelo, Texas. Moved from there as I played uh, recreationally all the way through there. There was no such thing as club in West Texas at that time. Moved on to Abilene, Texas, played high school soccer, and was a three-time all-district player there and scored 28 goals my senior year. And just had a, a wonderful time. My high school experience was incredible. I also played quarterback on a football team, so I was the unique guy that played football and soccer, which was completely, at that time, considered to be communistic in some views by people, and actually chose to be a kicker and, and a punter in college um, and went that direction. Played four years at Hardin-Simmons University and then got out and had the opportunity to coach football and soccer. Like most public school coaches back when we first started, you had to coach two sports, and so I got to coach two sports I loved. I was a football coach and then also got to wear the hat of a soccer coach. Started doing that when I was 22. The next year, my, my second year teaching and coaching, I got offered a job down in South Texas and uh, was also named the head soccer coach. So my second year ever coaching at 23, I was the head girl soccer coach at a little town called Beeville in, in South Texas. And fast forward now, all these years later, I, I, I've uh, kind of run the gauntlet, been all over the state, and then settled in for 10 years, uh, starting in 2006 at Frisco Wakeland High School, and really put down roots and established a program of what we wanted to see happen there. We were three times, in, at the time I was there, three times in the top, gosh, 15 or 20 in the nation, finished number three, ranked as high as number three, I think it was, or four in 2016, and won a state championship in 2010, lost in the semifinals in 14, lost in the finals on 11 shooters in 2016, and then these two years after I'd been away from the program, they've actually gone back and won back-to-back state championships. So we really built an incredible program in public school setting. Been doing it for almost 20 years and decided to take a year off and watch my daughter play. And uh, she was going to be a, a junior and senior, and so I wanted to be a part of her life. And um, back in August, was contacted by John Paul II. They had a teacher, resi- uh, the coach resigned at the last minute. They asked me to come in and be a part-time head soccer coach and still continue with my business. And uh, I came over here and absolutely fell in love with the place and had a great season and just really I got to experience a different side of soccer from the from the public school setting, now jumping into private and see all the different things that go with that. Whether my own children involved or, or coaching you know, hundreds and hundreds of kids through the years with, with club and high school and balancing and dealing with all of the North Texas fun that that can be. And uh, it's just led me to be kind of where I'm at today, which is now I've accepted to be on here full time starting this fall. And so I'm My retirement lasted approximately 365 days, and I'm back into it full-time. We're so glad you are. So how long have you been a member of the United Soccer Coaches, and when did you take over this all-important advocacy role? Sure. To be honest, I can't even remember how many years, but really got into it really heart and soul. I was president of TASCO, which is Texas Association of Soccer Coaches. Really got to 
invest in a lot of time and energy through Shellis Heinemann and Ian Barker and, and Tony DeChico, and those guys became mentors to me, and we really developed a partnership with them uh, that helped grow our state organization, and then that developed into a relationship where we were able to sign contracts to bring those guys in as presenters and, and everything through at that time, which was the NSCAA. And so through that, I met Lisa Cole. And uh, Lisa was charged with kind of developing the initial phase of the Advocacy Council uh, as the board started a restructuring program. I came in as just uh, a new face, I think, um, being from Texas. We, at that time, we didn't get a lot of Texas people involved um, in the organization. And I was a fresh face, and somebody brought a different perspective. What started out as me being that voice of a new perspective led into me realizing that this was a passion and a place I needed to be, and I brought a unique skill set from being in the Dallas Metroplex, where we had three academies playing at that time with FC Dallas, Solar, and uh, Texans. Kids going into the academy, what did the academy look like? I was coaching at the time when academy players could play high school and and played the academy. And then that developed on to how did we help transition those kids. And so when it all came down to it, it just seemed to be something that the association wanted me to step into that role and, and carry on. So I've now been on the Advocacy Council for three years and starting my second term um, as that director for, the, um, for the, uh, the high school side. All right, we've been talking about high school soccer for some time. And then as we opened the show, I read the lead, I read the headline, and I read kind of the basis for Mike Waitola's commentary. The headline says, U.S. Soccer Blundered Badly on High School Soccer. Just with the headline alone, how does that make you think and feel? You know, for the for the grassroots high school guy, I finally felt like somebody had the guts to actually put it on paper. It was, um, it was interesting to, to see that um, and use the word blunder um, because that's such a strong connotation. I mean, that's saying there's a major screw-up somewhere. Do I think it's something that can be remedied in several different ways? Absolutely. I just really thought it was impressive that somebody would take the time to put it on paper because for so long, look, let's be real honest, especially like here in Texas, for so long the high school soccer coach was the guy who didn't have uh, the ability to coach softball or this, that, and the other or, or basketball or whatever, and it was kind of turned to and said, oh, by the way, you're coaching soccer. And we all know that. And, and the truth of that is there is still, I'm sure, some of that going on in the United States. But it's really frustrating when you see thousands and thousands of licensed soccer coaches that have gone through U.S. Soccer Federation and through United Soccer Coach, all these different levels to get licensed and work so hard to be professionals at their sport and be seen as professionals, suddenly be told that they're just not good enough to coach the player they've been coaching for the last two or three years. It's very hard to understand. So, Rusty Oglesby, how do you lead a player to navigate the waters of the academy while being a high school coach? And you've been one for a long time, albeit that 365 days. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing, first and foremost as a coach, is you have to become extremely versed in what the conversation truly is about. Um, and that has to be about the player. The number one problem with coaches that blunder this, and I use the word blunder just like that, but the problem that coaches have when they blunder it is they make it about their ego. And they forget that, yes, we need qualified players to make us better coaches. Who doesn't want a qualified, great player to make us a better coach? At the end of the day, if it's not for those players, we can be the greatest coaches in the world. But if we don't have talent, we truly understand we're not going to win at the highest levels. Okay, so let's make sure we're getting that straight. Is If you're, if you're really wanting to do this, it's got to be about the kid. So number one, coach has to drop his ego um, and understand that you may or may not win or lose some games based on the talent that's presented to you, right? Uh, and that's just part of the process. The joy of high school game versus club is I coach who walks in my doors. And it's my job to make sure they experience the game holistically, athletically, academically, emotionally, psychologically. I'm following all the pillars of the game that I've been taught my whole life. So I'm, I've got to take that to another level. But to help a child navigate the waters properly, you have to identify that there's truly three types of players involved in the situation. The first player is my all-time favorite. They truly are the special breed. And that's what the academy was truly designed for, was to identify the top 1% player to funnel to our national team and make us the best team we could possibly be. That's how it was presented years and years ago. And I think we've lost that dream and, and model of what we're trying to achieve. But I've had that special player. I had Hayden Partain, who now plays for Sacramento FC, who played at Wake Forest and was involved in their national championship um, semi or the loss of a national championship two years ago. That kid walked in one day as a freshman, scored a goal in the state championship or semifinal for us that year with a special breed of player. 
the day it was announced that those kids were no longer going to be allowed to play high school soccer, no matter how much you wanted to play, my first goal was to get to that kid and touch him on the shoulder and say, hey, God bless you with a talent. Go use your talent. You don't need to be here. You've got to go. You want to be a pro. You want to be driven differently. I, please go and don't let us hold you back. And just saying that to an 18-year-old kid takes that pressure away from him to think he's letting anybody down. I think we lose sight of the fact that kids don't want to let people down. It truly is a gut-wrenching decision for them to make. So if you as a coach know you have that one percentile type player, cut them loose and let them go be that player by all means. Hey, but let them know the door is always open. I can tell you right now I've had multiple players come back that were that type player who still the academy didn't service what they wanted out of life, and they've come back and played for us. One just won his second state championship at, at – uh, Wakeland the other day, who was going to com- he's committed and signed with Kentucky, and he came back and he played in the state championship game the other day. And those tears of joy were re- were legitimately beautiful things to see from a kid who was an academy player. The second type player is the kid who says, "Coach, I really think I've got the talent. I really should go pursue that. What do you think?" And you again give them the freedom of go do it. The door is officially open. You know there's some kids who will never come back, right? There's certain kids who are going to go, Hayden never came back, never looked over his shoulder. Those ones I was just talking about, they're going to come back. So make sure those kids know player number two, go for it. If it's not what you want, the door is always open. Come on back and see me. And take care of them. Don't hold them. Don't hold it against them. You know, I think sometimes, again, coaches' egos. I've seen coaches say, you go to the academy, don't come back here. Then how are you different than the club coaches demanding something from them? I understand that we have to have kids committed to our programs and all that kind of stuff. We preach commitment. But at the end of the day, your job as a high school soccer coach is to welcome players in that door and make them feel home uh, at home and comfortable and give them a playing experience different than anything they've ever experienced. The last player you have is the kid that I really try to work with to make sure they understand the situation, and that's this. Son, you're, you're barely playing any on the varsity level now for us, or maybe you make the JV or, or whatever, but coach, they tell me they have a spot for me in the academy, and that kid doesn't realize he's number 34, 35 on that roster, and he's going to play three or four games. So while he's training four nights a week for his four games a year, he's missed out the entire experience of what high school can provide him. And if he would go play for his high school team, he actually, if the coach is able to get him into school or different things like that, the truth of the matter is he really – has the opportunity to be successful at the high school level, going to the college level and different routes that he's not assured of by staying with the academy. And he's missing out that experience, and now she is missing out that experience because of the pipe dream of something that they really could achieve more by playing all the minutes and being a part of something special in high school versus playing three or four or five games at the academy level. And how do you handle a player wishing to return to high school after a stint with the academy? Well, there's two, there's two sides to it. Number one, You've got to have that conversation with the kid before to let them know um, this is what I, w- I would love for you to be here. I understand if you're leaving. So have a conversation. Remember, the whole key to all this being success for both sides is to be uh, completely open and honest with your communication. But but also, secondly, when that, when that kid's coming back, I'm going to have an interview with him. Why are you here? Are you here because you got disgruntled with the academy because you didn't like the coach? Or did you think you were better? Or You need to know what the mindset is of the player coming in. When that player calls you in the middle of the night, I had one call me at, at 12 a.m., and he became the MVP of the state final a year ago after I'd left. He called me and he said, Coach, I made a horrible mistake. I know I made a mistake, and I just want to be a part of something special, and you taught me that, and I didn't listen. And Would you give me the opportunity to come back? That's incredibly – it says two things. Number one, it says the kid did it right. He went out and tried to pursue what he wanted to and he's come back. But secondly, it gives you hope as a coach that you're instilling the right virtues in that player. That um, You know that that player is going to be the kind when you talk to a college coach who's going to be open and honest at all times with a college coach. And so, you you know, it's just having those open, free-flowing conversations with kids to give them the opportunity. And at the end of the day, let's remember these are 15, 16, 17-year-olds. They're children. My God, we're asking them to make adult decisions I mean, at the time they're 14, 15, 16, some of them don't drive cars. Some of them don't even shave their faces, and we're telling them they got to make a decision on a career path. My God, I'm 43, and I still just now am changing my careers again. So who am I and who is anybody over them to try to make a decision based on 
what we think looks good on paper instead of looking at each individual child holistically. Finally, Coach, knowing that Mike Watola wrote the article, he let it off, making these two wonderful points that you just made and knowing your history. What is your 30-second leave behind to all the coaches listening as far as your take on where high school soccer stands? I'm going to tell you right now, high school soccer is alive, it's vibrant, and it is gorgeous. The game is getting better every time we turn around. The game is getting better. Uh, the coaching uh, methods are getting better. And, and when people check their egos at the door and make it all about the kid, there is a point and purpose for the academy for everybody, for some groups. There's a point and purpose for high school for some groups. There's a point and purpose for, it for everybody. But we've got to get everybody to the table and everybody get their egos checked at the door and start understanding we all are in it for the child. And the reasons we're having these articles written is because there's a certain group of people in the United States of America who made it about them years ago and took it away from the child and the family and started making it something that had to be done um, that was for something other than the purpose and the beauty of the game. And if we're in it for the beauty of the game, we got to go back to the child. He says it like it is. Rusty Oglesby, thanks for being a part of this important topic and conversation, Coach. It is my absolute honor. If anybody ever needs me, I'm at John Paul High School. Feel free to reach out, Plano, Texas. I'll be happy to help with anything you guys ever need. Rusty Oglesby, up next, a little different take. Diane Scavuzzo, she's not afraid to jump in there, get passionate. She's the editor-in-chief of Gold Nation. But perhaps more importantly, as part of this show, she is also the mom of a young man who's playing D.A. for Sporty KC. In fact, she's from San Diego, moved to KC to support her son as he pursues his dreams. A little different take from Miss Diane when we come back. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap as we dig deep into the issue of high school soccer. We've been talking about it for a long, long time, right? But kind of just looking at it, wondering at it, staring at it. And then Mike Waitola comes out with a pretty insightful commentary on, whoa, hold on, high school soccer's just not so bad. And that gets us thinking, and boom, here we are with this podcast. I want to thank Mike Watola for kicking it off. I want to thank Rusty Oglesby, very passionate in his role as a high school coach, very passionate in his role as the advocacy chair covering high school coaches for United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank Bo Eske. Here's a guy who's got five kids, all five of them playing in college, all five of them played high school soccer. And now a little bit on the other side of the aisle, but as she told me before we came on the air, not totally on the other side, but just wants to stand up and say, wait, what's everybody screaming about? And that is Diane Scavuzzo, who is the editor-in-chief for Goal Nation and a friend of United Soccer Coaches from quite some time. And now she's actually living in Kansas City, more as a mom, though, because she's got a big-time soccer-playing son who's an academy player with Sporting KC, and she's there to support him and his goals. I love that. Diane, great to be with you. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. And I'm thrilled to be the voice of uh, reason, because I'm really mystified as to how many people could be upset about a few players not uh, playing high school soccer. What is the big deal about having some high-level players that are in the Development Academy opt out of playing high school soccer? All right, keep going with that, Diane. I mean, you've got the you've got the pulpit right now. Keep going with kind of how you're feeling because you feel like it's a, a big uproar. Talk to me. Well, the numbers actually represent less than 1% of all high school-age players. And Jared Michelos, who is the director of the DA, the Development, Development Academy, just sent me the numbers of how many total players are playing uh, in the DA. And we are looking at just about 5,500 girls that are high school age players. And some of those are actually too young to even play high school, but may eventually, you know, go into ninth grade and will have that choice. But isn't this a choice that players should make and their families as to how best to pursue their dreams? And if they really want to focus on a high level elite environment, obviously the development Academy is an amazing honor to play in. The coaches all have to have a and B licenses. 
there's very strict protocols and safety nets and a real focus on development and training and not playing too many games and making sure the players rest appropriately. How could this be bad? Well, one of the things that uh, is bad, according to someone like Bo Eske, who's got five kids and he's actually an executive director of a club whose kids played high school and you know did great things and the camaraderie and the spirit of winning it is that you can do both. Why, why can't you figure out a way to do both? But you really can't do both because you really cannot change philosophy of coaching and development. You cannot pull incredibly elite players out of a environment where they are being coached in a specific way to be able to play a certain style of ball and then throw them to a completely different environment with players who are obviously not as experienced, not as focused, not as dedicated. And obviously the incident of accidents when you're looking at players who are using more brute strength than technique, where you're looking at players that with less experience, why, why not just let them choose? Isn't this a choice we should allow our players to have? And it's one of the very first choices that a player has to make. If you want to be an elite player and have dreams of playing for the national team and wearing our USA red, white, and blue, there are a lot of sacrifices that you have to make if you've dreamed of being an elite player. This is just the beginning. But what if they choose both, though? You're sticking with they can't do both. I mean, what if they, they can do both and want to do both? Well, the DA this year allowed girls to opt in and out of the DA if they wanted to play high school. So the fact is that if a girl wanted to be able to play high school and her club allowed her to, the choice was up to them, not the DA. They did not force the issue this year with the girls. This seems to be a fact that escapes most people. But it's really unusual, I think, for both people to want to play both. I have a teenage son. When he was about to go and take his physical for high school sports, he was like, Mom, I don't want to play high school soccer. I want to be in the DA. So I guess what we really want to do is take a look at the very few kids who may want to do both and see if there are some you know, unusual exceptions. But in reality, there's, it's wonderful to play high school soccer. It's a phenomenal feeling to support your school. But that's not the dream of everyone. And what I want to know is if it's only 5,000 kids, girls, and maybe with less than 1%, where is this uproar coming from? What, where do you think it's coming from? I don't know. I'd love to get your opinion. <laughs> you know, obviously, there are people out there who are concerned that that one great player isn't going to be able to bring home that national championship to their high school. But in reality, I think it's just that people are afraid of living in the shadow of the DA. That I received a lot of emails from parents, from our readers. We've got 50,000 followers on Facebook and an enormous amount of readers that are really in this elite level of soccer. And nobody wants to feel that they're missing the boat, that their player isn't good enough. And, you know, I think that it's really a question of how much a child wants to commit to training. It's not just a question of, you know, innate talent. Most of the top coaches out there will say they're looking for coachable players, players who want to live the passionate dream of being a player. That's a lot more than whether or not somebody is, you know, great with their foot technique at the age of 10. You're hearing the passionate voice of Diane Scavuzzo, editor-in-chief for Go Nation and a mom to a talented young man who's part of the Development Academy with Sporting KC. I can tell you one thing, Diane, nobody cares about my opinion, but one opinion that does resonate is Mike Waitala, who is, uh, you know, his commentary on soccer in this country for so many years has been one that has been valued. I think you're friends with him. Absolutely. And what would I you... am, and he has shepherded me, and I respect him unbelievably. But we're talking about less than 18,000 players that are in the DA from New York to California, from Washington to Florida. This is not making a huge impact on high school soccer. Okay, and you read his commentary, players, though. What's your yeah. take on his commentary? Oh, I think it was very apropos to the fact that Americans don't like to be told what they can and can't do. I think that, you know, America does have great options for soccer and that we do have free soccer and it is high school soccer and it's a great option for so many, many millions of kids all across the country. You know, he brings to home a lot of valuable points, but it's not a statement or an indictment about the DA being a poor program for developing elite players. Okay, so let's talk about you and your relationship with your son, who, like you said, said, I didn't want to play high school soccer and pursued his dream, went to a boarding school in Arizona, then got this opportunity, and good for you for, you know, leaving San Diego to be there for him. Everybody needs their mom, and, and I know you're a great mom as well. But with that, he's got some friends who went on to play high school soccer and probably, you know, had a good time in San Diego. How do you feel Absolutely. about how they're feeling about their success in high school soccer? You don't hold any ill will toward them, right? Oh, my goodness. He has two of his best friends, their teams, Tory Pines and 
Del Sur High School. Both of those teams won their championship in their, in their given brackets, and the kids were incredibly proud, and they had an amazing time. And it was wonderful. But when you go and watch one of those high school games, it's not the same level as when you take a look at the Adidas Generation Cup or even when you look at a DA game or a Dallas Cup. There's so many different levels of soccer. And the wonderful thing about the beautiful game that unites our world is that it can be played your entire life and there are so many different levels of the game. And that doesn't make one level better or worse. It just makes it different. No reason that we shouldn't be able to allow high school soccer to flourish. But remember, you know, if you're really saying that high school players are being incredibly proud and social, I have always thought that high school soccer sort of lived in the shadow of football. Because football, really, isn't that the sport that everybody pays a lot of attention to in high school? If you win a state championship at any level, I think uh, you're pretty fired up and they get some pretty good good crowds. But I, I definitely see where your point is there. You know, you talk about levels, okay? And you're talking about why is there such an uproar when, you know, there's only, you know, 1% or 5,000 kids. Rusty Oglesby pointed out, he's like, look, I'm okay with that one-of-a-kind, big-time player like your son, perhaps, going to Strictly Academy. But then there's the second level, and then you get that third level where the Academy's still pulling at them because they still need numbers. They still got to make that team complete. And as much as we'd love to think every player that's on that Academy team is going to go pro and do great things, it just doesn't happen, right? So what about those you players? You don't need to be going pro. You can be wanting to go to a D1 college. You can be very passionate about the game. You can really want to focus on your training and practice four days a week and have a high-level competition. And there is 13,000-plus boys that are playing soccer at the DA. And, you know, I don't really think that there is a second and third team. There is different, you know, development academies. You've got your youth soccer clubs and you've got your MLS professional clubs. And some of them are, uh, some soccer clubs are completely fully funded. And obviously the MLS clubs are fu- Right, but no, but his, his, to jump in there, though, his point is that third-level player who the academy really wants and they want that money and they want him on the team, but he's still maybe player 14, 15, sometimes player 22 or 23, where he likes the academy thing because he wants to keep getting better. But again, going back to that social impact, playing with his friends, trying to win something for the high school team and the colors and the nickname and all of that. What about that guy? Well, I would think that that guy probably has some great friends on his soccer team. I know that my son is playing uh, Fortnite uh, with his uh, former teammates from San Diego Surf, and he, that was a couple of years ago. So I think great friendships are formed through sports, and that sports teaches a lot of phenomenal life lessons, and that they're not, uh, you know, they've got nothing to do with whether or not it's a high school team or a club team. What can we do here? What, what, what do you really want done? You want the people that are screaming about it to back off? Or what, what's your goal by being a I part would really of this? like to know what they're upset about and why they're involved. I was speaking with president of a, a youth soccer league that has 20,000 players. And, you know, he came down to it saying that, yeah, you know, the coaching and the curriculum and the practices at high school are nowhere near a good club team in most parts of the country. Some parts of the country have phenomenal high school soccer and some, you know, really don't have the same level of uh, ability. But what is what are people upset about? Why are they so frustrated? The headline in Soccer America says U.S. soccer blundered badly on high school soccer. What should the headline say in your publication as a he said, she said? U.S. soccer develops is working on developing world class players. So hopefully one day we will be winning the World Cup. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of long. I don't know if it'll fit all the way across the masthead, but I like that. Yeah, diet. it's a little too long. I, that's why I have a good copy editor. But in reality, <laughs> U.S. soccer's job is not to, you know, be negative or to uh, diss high school soccer. It's really they're focusing on on raising the bar for coaching and for player development. I don't really think that it is, you know, out to uh, focus on high school soccer at all. But I certainly don't think it blundered on it. You know, blundering means that it's actually made a huge mistake. And quite frankly, the players that are choosing to play in the DA today, they seem to be pretty, pretty happy about it. Now, there are some clubs that have left the DA to be able to play in ECNL that has more flexibility and allows all of the girls, all of their teams to play in high school. And that's wonderful. That gives the choice. And that's what we should have. We're proud of our choices in America, and we should support our children and fo- help them follow and pursue their dreams, whether it's to be playing in high school or to play in the DA. 
Reading from Mike's Wait. article here, he says, quote, just as Mallory Pugh was emerging as a super talent, with everyone knowing she played high school soccer, in addition to ECNL ball, U.S. soccer was disparaging high school ball while setting up a league to compete for the nation's top talent with the ECNL. Talk about bad timing, he writes. People who know a heck of a lot about girls and women's soccer, such as Anson Dorrance, Tony DeChico, mm-hmm. Amanda Cromwell, Julie Foudy, disagreed with U.S. soccer's attitude toward high school soccer. Those are big-time names right there, Diane. They absolutely are, but I think if you ask Amanda whether or not she supports high school soccer, I think you're going to get an interesting answer. It's not a black-and-white issue. It's really a question of what's best for the overall player, not what's going to work very well for one particular high school that's great at development. So maybe you should get Amanda on the show. I don't need a man. I got Diane Scavuzzo on here. His well, it's last... great to talk about high school soccer, and it's wonderful to be able to, uh, you know, take a look at what transpired. But when you're thinking about even three, four, five years ago, the landscape was different. U.S. soccer has just launched the girls' DA this season, and it's going to be impacting every year more so as as the seasons go by, just like the boys' DA did ten years ago. I don't think the boys' DA was taken very seriously. He goes on to say that U.S. soccer could have considered that high school soccer is likely even more important, actually, for girls than for boys. It could have tried to manage a DA without its strict stance against high school ball. And he said, quote, if U.S. soccer doesn't reconsider its attitude toward the high school game, it faces a major challenge in making the DA the destination for the nation's top clubs and players. So, But I disagree with that. You see, I think that the destination for the best players is where the best scouts are. And the scouts are at the DA. And while they, of course, will go scout a talented player anywhere, obviously 50% plus of U.S. Soccer Development Academy games are scouted regularly, every weekend. So if a player really wants the chance to be able to get a position, get called into a national team camp, play for their country, obviously you want to be able to be seen. Okay, and your son's name is? Michael. Michael. And Michael, we think we'll see someday at uh, a D1 school, college, or an MLS club? As long as I see my child happy, that's what I care about. All so right. He would like to be able to be a professional player. He is devoted. He, is, he moved to Kansas City because he felt this was his best opportunity to be the best he could be on the field. And, you know, I'm supporting him, and I'm surprised by how many parents have actually moved to support their children as they pursue this incredibly high level of soccer. The coaching here in Kansas City is amazing. The facility is incredible. And I'm very proud that my child was asked to play for Sporting Kansas City. So we're happy in our new city, and we're happy that Michael's friends played high school. You know, what we believe is that every player, every reader of Goal Nation, every listener to your podcast should be making this decision for themselves and not get swayed in by all of a sudden a dramatic push against the DA and a big swell for supporting high school soccer. And if your son heard you talking right now about your passion for this subject and uh, perhaps even listen to the podcast, what would he say about your comments? He'd say, why is everybody so concerned about high school soccer? <laughs> and your, your final 30-second sort of uh, statement uh, based on what really triggered this podcast, Mike Waitola's commentary. Your well, you know, Mike, Michael, Mike's daughter did really well in high school. And she loved it. And I think that no matter how impartial we are as professional journalists, and Michael, Mike what knows more than I will ever know about soccer, we all live through our family experiences and those are the ones that we love. And, you know, obviously I am biased and very in favor of the DA because I am living proof of it. My son's U14 year was the cheapest year I've ever had in terms of my financial commitment and outlay for supporting his youth soccer. There were no unexpected expenses in the tournaments and referee and field costs and travel costs. It was all laid out. It was wonderful. I could actually plan. <laughs> Many youth soccer parents know you can never really know what's happening on your weekends because there is always a change. Diane Scavuzzo. Yes? Never a change with you. You're always passionate no matter what the topic and not afraid to speak up and be heard. I appreciate that. And, uh, 
Probably should have had you on the podcast a long time ago, covering other topics as well, Diane. Good to good to have well, a little banter. Well, hopefully you'll invite me back. <laughs> I definitely will, for sure. You know that. Thanks for your passion. Congratulations on your son. Thanks for being a great mom as well, particularly with Mother's Day around the corner. Happy Thank Mother's you. Day You're to you. Too. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Great guest, Diane. Have a great day. It was a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for doing this for all of us. Wonderful soccer fans listening. I love it. Diane Scavuzzo, she fun or what? We'll be back to wrap up the show after this. It's the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash United. Continuing our exciting conversation about high school soccer. I want to thank Mike Waitola from Soccer America for putting out that commentary and really saying it like he felt like it should be said. And we're covering both sides of the aisle, I guess, those who support high school soccer and what it means, those who understand the pull from the academy and some sort of balance. And Diane Scavuzzo, the editor-in-chief for Goal Nation, and perhaps more importantly as it relates to this show, a mom of a very successful DA player now playing for Sporting KC, not necessarily on the other side of the aisle or totally against high school soccer, but just doesn't understand the uproar uh, and some of the animosity towards the DA for making the kids make the decision. Her take was interesting and, and passionate as well. One person who feels like it can be a benefit on both sides, and how about that? I mean, he heads a club, executive director for FC Frederick, and a guy who not only was a college soccer player, he's got five kids that are probably going to play college soccer, a couple of them already at William & Mary. He's got one that uh, went to a D3 school, a girl, another girl coming up. I mean, what a story, Bo SK is who we're talking about. Bo, thanks for being with us. Hey, uh, thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, Bo, first off, let's. Uh, we like to drop names here, and obviously Al Albert's a big name, and you actually played for Al Albert for a couple years after a couple years at Air Force under Lou Segastumi, who's also a great name that we can drop. And so obviously you've known a long time about the benefits of the United Soccer Coaches because Al Albert, man, that's a guy who lives it. I have, and uh, Al is uh, was not only my coach, but uh, as a close personal friend. In fact, from our club perspective, he had a an important role in the early 2000s when our club was going through soul searching. He came in and shared a lot of his experiences about what it takes to put together a good, a good uh, club program that really influenced our organization or and continues to influence it, uh, honestly, um, for, for, 15, for the last 15 years or so. All right, I love it because you played for the Tribe. We used to feature a lot of games with the Tribe as far as the NSCA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer. You had three kids that went on to play for the Tribe, and Jackson, William, and I guess John Andrews now coming up as well. And you're actually, from what I understand, a third-generation William and Mary athlete because your dad was a basketball player, then you played, and now you've got these kids play there as well. Fascinating story, and I think you're going to tell me all of those kids played high school soccer, right? They sure did, and um, view those experiences, uh, honestly, uh, to be some of the most important of their uh, soccer careers. Okay, so we know where you stand, so let's get right into it, particularly as your role, not just as a father of kids who have played high school soccer and went on to play in college soccer as well, but particularly from where you sit as the head of a club. So does your league, the Club Champions League, support high school participation? I think we know that answer, and can you give some good examples? Sure, and I, I appreciate you bringing up the league. So CCL, the acronym for the Club Champions League, in our view is, well, first off, it's a fantastic partner with the um, United Soccer Coaches. We were the first league to become, have a direct partnership relationship with United Soccer Coaches, uh, formerly NSCAA. Um, but the very nature of the league, the geographic area is Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Believe it or not, it's a very complicated geography, not in terms of distance, but in terms of high school structure, because Maryland plays high school soccer in the fall. Virginia plays it in the spring. D.C. is kind of a mix, and there's also a very strong overlay of, of public school and private school, very high-level programs, and the seasons don't always match up. So the first thing I would say is is in the high school age bands, which are essentially, let's say, 16U to 19U now, 
you know, it, it's required some constant dialogue amongst all the club directors. There's, there's 17 clubs that comprise uh, our league about how best to serve the needs of um, our kids consistent with allowing them um, a robust high school experience. So uh, as an example, um, we uh, basically target the period of the year where we can get access to all the kids outside of their high school system is one of the key times to play games. So we get a lot of games in from mid-November through the end of February uh, in order to play uh, our league matches. Um, and then, even though it, it's perhaps not ideal, um, for Maryland clubs, we have to get in um, two league games, actually, during the high school season in order for, you know, with a 17-club league, uh, you know, that's 16 games that you have to get in across the year. So getting a couple in uh, from the Maryland side in the fall, a couple and some in from the Virginia side in the spring helps balance out the whole schedule. Um, and there's some tweaks related to that that have to do with relationships between club and high school coaches that uh, we've learned are very important as well. Here with Bo SK, does your club, FC Frederick, support high school participation? And can you give some examples? Absolutely. Really, the DNA uh, of our club is partly the high school soccer experience. When we first were formed in the late 80s and early 90s, it was local high school coaches who realized that Frederick County and Western Maryland uh, didn't have uh, any uh, club level play for these kids. So they started the two predecessor organizations that ultimately became FC Frederick. So we've always been uh, sensitive to um, the needs of high school, of kids when they're in high school, as well as the connection between having good club players and what that means for high school programs uh, in terms of the level of high school programs. I'll give you one example. Something that uh, often is, you find in, in the, the club space is tension between high school and club programs because, you know, everybody, you know, during season in particular sort of views them as, as quote-unquote, their kids and wants to work with them, you know, uh, consistent with their programs. Um, in order to kind of developed some really strong lines of communication. About four years ago, um, we started uh, every January, we have um, what we call our high school coaches roundtable. And what the club does is, you know, pay for some um, some food and some drink, and we, we sit down uh, as coaches and, and talk about issues that, that we're seeing, both on the high school side and the club side. You know, so, for example, to give the high school coaches some understanding of what our league structure is and 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 what the uh, the timing of different things is, and then you know develop lines of communication so that if we have something going on, uh, but a player's had you know two high school games and some training sessions, we know that uh, you know we shouldn't overload that kid um, you know so that they they don't get injured and, and they have you know good experience. So uh, this this piece of developing strong lines of communication so that both groups benefit, uh, I, I think that is a unique thing to our club. And quite frankly, it's been fantastic um, in terms of, you know, getting stronger, getting to know all these high school coaches in a, in, in a much stronger way. In your opinion, Bo, how does high school participation affect player development? Well, you know, the, the thing about anything related to player development, from my perspective, is is everything you have to look at? Um, it's, it's hard to generalize, right? You'll you'll hear out there, and, and unfortunately, I think this is what the DA and U.S. Soccer did when they first brought out the program. Was they they basically painted high school soccer with this broad brush and suggested it's all, you know, it's all a you know bad level and 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 coached by you know with players that that maybe maybe aren't as strong or. or coached by guys who may not have such a strong background and players aren't as strong. And the truth of the matter is there are high schools, you know, certainly here in our area that can compete with the absolute top level of the DA, right? They're getting some tremendously talented teams in there or kids in there. And then the coaches uh, are equally as uh, experienced and are, are working, you know, diligently on their coaching education, going to get U.S. soccer licenses, going to get United Soccer Coaches diplomas. So the broad brush approach, from my perspective, is simply misleading to everyone, and, and people should just stop doing it. Now, I do think it's the case that, and we can talk about high schools or DAs, quite frankly, there are some that, that certainly need to do some work, right? Maybe the player pool there 
it isn't quite what it should be to have, you know, uh, the best uh, developmental ex- experience for a really talented player, or maybe it's a new younger coach who's not as experienced. But, you know, I tell you what, you can look around the DA as well and find some programs that simply, you know, comparatively um, aren't as strong as some, as some high school programs that you can find out there in terms of level of coaching and the level of talent on those high school teams. So, I guess the first thing is is we have to be very careful of suggesting, you know, an absolute with one or the other. Um, now, the other thing I would say is is some of the really amazing benefits uh, that that, and I'll use my kids and my and the high school that they went to, Urbana High School. Um, virtually every year at this school, the the starting group and probably 14, 15 players in all come from high level clubs. Okay. So the level of player at these at these organizations is or at these at these schools is very high. First off, and and if you went back and tracked, you know, where the kids going to school, you'll see a, a very strong mix of uh, Division ones uh, and then some twos and threes. The level of uh, the coach at each school is is phenomenal. Um, many many years and and pursuing all their licenses and degrees and all that sort of stuff, uh, licenses and diplomas and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, some other components of it, um, my kids, I think, greatly benefited from coming in as very talented freshmen, but being very young and never never having had to kind of find their role uh, in a team um, when, you know, there were older, stronger, maybe even more talented guys ahead of them, uh, and learn to be a teammate, learn to be a leader, um, you know, learn to be able to, to be a leader in your community. Um, so, one of the other really important things from my perspective in terms of growth of the game is we get these high school games, particularly some of the rivalries get thousands of fans to come watch, including young players. And that doesn't happen at any of the DAs, right? The DAs, the people that go there, the coaches, maybe U S soccer guy and a bunch of parents, nobody's going there to watch the level of play. So in terms of, in terms of exposing um, more and more, young players and maybe families who don't have a stronger connection to the game, there's absolutely no better platform uh, than high school to do that, assuming, you know, you have a good, a good level at that high school. Final questions in 30 seconds or less. You read Mike Watola's commentary on Soccer America, and you thought what? I thought, thank goodness we have Mike Wojtola, or Wojtola, however you pronounce it. Um, look, I've been – he's one of the most thoughtful um, – soccer thinkers in the country uh believe it or not he would he, if he were on the call he might be uh embarrassed to me say this but i think i've saved most of the articles that he's written over his career and we use quite a few of them he writes about a lot of things in, including player development uh what you should do at, at different you know age groups or different age levels that sort of thing and he's just uh has a has a wonderful uh perspective um and lots of experience that he's bring that he's weaving into um, the views that he he sets out. So I thought it was a great article. And so did the United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank Mike Knipper and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches and all of our guests. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Hi, folks. This is Dean Linky, host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast with an important message for each and every one of you. If you are interested in gaining an advantage through a world of coaching resources, now is the time. United Soccer Coaches is offering a limited time promotion for $10 off your membership for our listeners. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and use promo code UNITED now through May 30th. Sign up today.